0: Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr James Bergen. Right now, conferences are a bit odd. Crowded rooms and questionable catering have made way for Zoom presentations and questionable internet connections, but we still love them as forums to celebrate and communicate science. And in January, one of the most important conferences in the UK's genetics and evolution circuit took place, the 54th Annual Population Genetics Group Meeting, which is sponsored by both Heredity and the Genetics Society. In this episode, we're going to explore this conference with two of the organisers from the University of Liverpool. We're also going to get a taster of the research that one best shouldn't talk. Welcome to the Heredity Podcast. Can you please both introduce yourselves?
1: I'm Andrea Bettencourt. I am a professor at the University of Liverpool. I moved to the UK in 2005, although I'm American, I haven't lived in the US since. I should probably say uh, I'm an evolutionary biologist. Uh, Go Eve. (laughs) So, I'm Eve Taylor Cox. I'm a PhD student
2: at the University of Liverpool, and my supervisor is Professor Elix Sakiri. I'm looking at the evolutionary genetics of range expansion in the speckled butterfly across the UK.
0: Mm, perfect well welcome both and thank you for joining me and you're both here to talk about this year's pop group so Andrea you were one of the main organizers Eve you were a volunteer there but I guess just to get everyone orientated what is pop group
1: so pop group is the population genetics group meeting of the genetic Society UK um it's a meeting that's been going on for quite a while this was the 54th iteration of that meeting it's a great meeting there's usually about I don't know 150 to 250 people coming in real life. And it's largely focused, of course, on population genetics. There's lots of genomics and non model organisms as well. And lots of the old British academics that are really have been really important in population genetics. My first pop group was back in 2005, right after I arrived in the UK. And it was brilliant, but I was still jet-lagged. It
0: was that that <laughs> recently
1: after I'd arrived.
0: Must have been some hard going. Um, so Eve, was this your first pop group? Have you been to previous ones?
2: This was my fourth pop group. I've been to three previously. And the first one I went to was in Cambridge when I was doing my master's. And I just love pop group because... It's so welcoming for students and it's just um, really nice to present your work and get feedback on it. And you don't feel like there's lots of pressure on you. It's a really nice atmosphere.
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of the meetings that people always say they gave their first talk at. And for me, it's really special because I get to see the people I taught as master students back when I was a postdoc moving through their careers. They're mostly fellows now.
0: Yeah, I, I still remember my first pop group very fondly. It's a very it's a very easy place for new researchers to get involved.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's really welcoming. And the student talks are often the best ones, really.
0: Yeah, I would I'd tend to agree with that as well. But this year, I guess things were a little bit different and a bit more challenging because it was all held online. Um, and I'm kind of curious as to what it was like organizing the first virtual pop group.
1: Um well in some ways I think it was easier than organizing a real meeting because there were no caterers or conference dinner or anything like that no Kayleigh bands it was in a few ways a bit harder just because there were so many unknowns and so much of it had to be done at the last minute but it was quite a lot of fun
2: yeah i would say it was really fun and i think we realized early on like the opportunity doing it virtually gave us because we could make it a much more global conference especially the time of year it's quite hard for people to come over to the UK so we tried to make it have a bit more of a global outreach which I think was quite successful.
1: Mm, that's a really good point and we had roughly twice the number of attendees that we normally have there were 460 some odds people registered in the end I think.
2: Yeah it was really good and I think there was 21 countries that attended. So there's a a greater diversity as well, which is amazing. Mm. Loads of good, amazing talks.
0: That sounds fantastic. And I guess when you're mentioning the talks there, I'm really curious about how the talks and the poster sessions actually took place.
1: Um, So there were a variety of different platforms. So there was um, for the plenary talks or talks where we had everybody all together. We used a Zoom webinar just because that's better for accommodating a large group. And then for the parallel sessions, we had a Zoom meeting where people could choose their own breakout rooms. And this was a little bit rough the first day because it's quite a new feature of Zoom and it's not particularly intuitive how you use it. So that, that led to some delays. But in the end, I think it was the best way to do it just because people could switch between sessions really quickly.
0: Perfect. And I mean, I guess part of the reason I'm curious is because I wasn't actually able to attend this year. So what were some of the sort of key moments in the conference?
1: So if I could talk a little bit about the poster sessions, I think that was one thing that made it feel more like pop group than like an online conference. I hope Um, that was... Done on a platform called Spatial Chat, where people can sort of wander around a virtual space and talk to each other in small groups. And I think that made it a bit more natural—a natural way to interact than in Zoom, where only one person can talk at a time. Um, so that's, I think, helped a bit. One of the one of my favorite moments was actually just popping into the. We had a pub quiz instead of a conference dinner, and it was just popping in and seeing people who were I knew were friends and would have been sort of clustered together at a normal pop group all chatting together and then meeting a few new, new people that way just by casually bumping into them.
2: No I think um, spatial chat was really good actually and it made it as almost organic as you possibly can over uh, being virtual because you could still wander around rooms and bump into people like you would at any other conference and because pop group the social side is so important. I think spatial chat was definitely a key thing and we had lots of feedback and people really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, some people have said it, it sort of re- it captured the awkwardness of a real conference too.
2: <laughs>
1: <Yes>.
2: <laughs> One of my favourite moments was when I was trying to teach Emeritus Professor John Turner how to move around in spatial chat with Elixakiri and then we managed to finally get to move around his little face around and then told him he wanted to go talk to Chris Jiggins and we found that Chris Jiggins was in the butterfly room so we had to I tried to teach John how to click on the butterfly room and Chris Jiggins name and then he suddenly just disappeared we're like (laughs) oh no I hope he found the right place kind of thing it was amazing
1: (laughs) yeah John the source of many of my favorite moments of the conference, actually.
2: Yes, definitely. It was amazing.
1: Ilik spent quite a bit of time showing him how to use Zoom because, you know, it's fairly new and not so easy. But Ilik had to share his slides. And then, you know, after there were quite a few technical problems throughout but people were very kind and forgiving. And it was one of the last ones was uh, just getting ready to go live on the webinar with the plenary talks and watching Illich disappear because he'd had a power cut at his house.
0: (laughs) The joys of uh, a virtual conference. (laughs) Although I have to say that John is one of the highlights of pretty much every pop group I've ever been to. He's, He's one of those real stalwarts that you just meet every year and he's always full of ideas and enthusiasm. It's great.
1: Yeah, he, he gave a really nice uh, tribute to Philip Shepper, who did his career at Liverpool and was, would have had his hundredth birthday had he lived that long this year.
0: That was great. It was very, very pop group. And I guess so. Eve, you were also one of the volunteers. I know that you were kind of largely in charge of the Twitter. So I'm kind of just curious about what exactly you did during the conference.
2: Um, yeah. So I was. I built the website around the amazing. A logo that Sam Whiteford did who's a postdoc at Liverpool. Um, so I built the website and then was mainly in charge of the Twitter and then just trying to help people with technical problems during the conference and then there was a global slack outage on the first day um, <laughs> which did, did not help matters because that's where we were doing all the messaging and tech help. Uh, so I was basically manically tweeting to try and alert everybody to what was going on when um, hiccups did occur. But I think it went okay.
0: <laughs> uh, that that sounds a bit like a nightmare. But um, I know both of you were very busy during the actual conference. So I know that kind of gets in the way of you seeing some of the research, but kind of curious about the research side of it. And if anything that you saw at the conference has really stuck with you or changed the way that you're thinking about your research?
1: Um, Eve, do you want to take that one first? I think you saw more
2: of the conference and I did. <laughs> yeah, so the first day I kind of... It was Panic Stations. Um, I really enjoyed the plenary by Graham Coop because he explained complex modelling so clearly and calmly that even I could understand it. So that's quite impressive if you can make me understand modelling. So for me, that was just nice how you can break down a model so it's understandable. And that has made me think about models much more clearly in general. My other favorite talk was by Gabriella, who won the student prize, and she talked about adaptation to altitude in Heliconus butterflies. And I was particularly interested in that because it's adaptation across a gradient, and that's quite linked to my research. It was really nice to see the kind of methods and what results she got from her work.
0: Mm. Fascinating. I mean, the Heliconius people seem to steal the show pretty much every year at Pop Group.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's an impressive group of people and a great um, study system to work on.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Andrea, I know that you were really busy with the organisation, but did you see any research talks that have really stuck with you?
1: Uh, I did see a couple of plenaries. As as Eve said, Graham's talk was really beautiful. The graphics of that talk actually really stuck with me because it was such a beautiful way of visualising and understanding, well, structured coalescence. Um, which is not all all that intuitive, and so it was more from a wanting to understand how to teach these things kind of point that stuck with me. The other talk I actually got to enjoy was Vera Gorbanova's, which was uh amazing in that she takes you know cell and molecular biology methods and applies them to non model organisms to answer really interesting evolutionary questions. yeah, that one I had to pay. Um, attention to because I was hosting it and I wanted to make sure that there was at least one question to answer while people were thinking of their own questions. So I did ask one. <laughs> but, uh, it's not just my work, of course. I was really proud of the way the committee got together and um, the organizing committee got together and managed to get such a broad range of topics among the plenary speakers, so that there would be something that interested everybody. Different um, people have emailed me saying this plenary was the highlight for the conference for me or that plenary was and I think it was pretty broadly distributed across the four speakers.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host but it's really interesting to hear what you're saying there about the organizational team that you had and the sort of the job they pulled off because the very last thing i wanted to ask you both was just if you want to give a shout out to the team that put pop group together this year because i know it's an incredible amount of work
1: Absolutely. I mean, they were such fun to work with too. So, Vincenzo Ostra put together the spatial chat stuff and did a brilliant job. Rob Fitz did a great job with, the, especially with the pub quiz, which was a highlight for lots of people. Um, it was very key. Elixir Carey's Eve's supervisor was really key at, at hurting John Turner through everything, which was brilliant because he really made the meeting special, I think. And Stu Wigby handled uh, the merch, which was hilarious. Um, it was using Sam Whitford's artistic logo designs and putting them on all sorts of mer- print on demand merchandise that people really enjoyed. So you could order <laughs> a pop group back, mat if you
0: so desire. That's amazing. And I actually did see a picture of some pop group uh, face masks as well. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Maybe 2021, I guess. And I'll just say who else was on the committee because everybody did something. There was Diana razo Quintiero, who was actually in Colombia for part of this. And Jamie Hall did various bits and pieces. Matthew Kelber helped a lot with the Meet the Editor's symposium, which was actually great. I'd never been to one of those, and it was really, really interesting. And then I can't say enough about what Eve did. She was just all around Girl Friday. took care of so many details, and I think deserves most of the credit for things actually working.
2: Oh, thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> but no, I should say a massive thank you to Andrea, because she was our fearless leader through it all and made sure that we were on target and organising us and giving us all little jobs to do. It was amazingly well organised. and I had enjoyed our Friday afternoon meetings when my brain was tired by the end of the week, but it was always a highlight. <laughs> so thank you very much.
0: Yeah, I mean, it looks as though it went off amazingly, particularly for all the challenges that you faced this year with COVID and looking at Twitter, everyone who went seems to have loved it. And yeah, hopefully next year, whether or not it's in person or virtual will be equally successful. And uh, yeah, thank you very much both for taking the time to uh, share your thoughts about Pop Group.
2: No worries. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you. Thanks to Andrea and Eve. The next Pop Group will be held in Norwich in early January 2022. And if you're on Twitter, you can follow the conference at Pop Group. Up next, we hear from the very deserving winner of Best Student Talk at this year's pop group.
3: Hi, I'm Gabriela uh, from the University of Cambridge, and I just finished my PhD on Heliconius Butterflies.
0: Oh, well, congratulations on finishing your PhD, and also congratulations on winning Best Student Talk at pop group this year, which is what you're here to talk to me about. And obviously, we can't hear your talk, but I wonder if you could give us a flavour of it. So what was your talk on?
3: Yes yeah, so um I talk about some of the main outcomes of my PhD in 12 minutes was was a bit tricky but this project Really was about understanding how some Heliconius butterflies adapt to living at high altitude in the Andes in South America. And people have been completely obsessed about these butterflies for a long time because they're one of the best examples of malarian mimicry where toxic species look alike to protect each other from predators. But some subspecies are altitudinally structured. So you have a color pattern morph in the highlands that is different from the one in the lowlands. And where they meet in the middle, there's a hybrid zone. And these have been studied in depth for a long time to find the genes underlying colour pattern differences between the subspecies. And while doing that, they found that there were other regions of the genome not involved with colour pattern loci that were differentiated between the highlands and the lowlands, hinting that there could be potential adaptation to high altitude, even in these, you know, very continuous and admixed populations. So the aim of my PhD was to get a first glimpse into the genomics and the traits underlying adaptation to high altitude in these butterflies. And over the course of three years, and with many really great collaborators. We collected whole genomes and sequenced over 500 individuals of two widespread species. And we used four clines on both sides of the Andes with a three-population approach, where we had individuals from the highlands, the nearby lowlands, and the distant lowland populations to be able to better distinguish between potential local adaptation and genetic drift. And we found many regions of strong differentiation at high altitude, And also high levels of parallelism, especially when clients were on the same side of the andes, so connected via gene flow. So this was what some would call a reverse genetics approach, where you lack knowledge of the phenotypes. And um, you just look for signatures of selection. But I'm an ecologist at heart, so I really want to know more about the traits involved to then be able to use more forward genetic approaches like genome-wide association studies to look really at phenotype and genotype associations. And you know, even though the altitude difference is, is moderate, it's around 800 meters between the highland and the nearby lowland populations, is about five degrees cooler in the understory, and there's a 17% drop in oxygen. And we can easily feel those differences ourselves as humans. So you know, the butterflies can feel it much more. And I became interested in in how wing shape may vary with altitude, thinking that they must fly differently at high altitude with such you know lower air pressures. So I used historical collections um, of Heliconias and we found that wings were generally rounder at higher altitudes, both within and across species. And that really led me to want to understand more about that trait and whether it was Heritable or plastic, perhaps. So we brought mothers from the highlands and the lowlands and reared them in a common garden rearing environment to test heritability. And we found that indeed they were, it was a very heritable trait. So then I did a genome wide association study with a recently published data set from this hybrid zone and have identified several regions along the genome potentially involved in determining this trait. And then interestingly, if we compare the forward and reverse genetics approaches and their results, some of these candidate regions overlap. So potentially, I have found a few regions that are involved in shaping the wing and also under selection at high altitude, which I think is really exciting. So yeah, my my talk was about how you go from not knowing very much about how species adapt to a new environment to pinpointing some of the traits and underlying genetics that have allowed them to live there.
0: Wow, I am not even remotely surprised that you won. That is an absurd amount of work. It sounds like a really fantastic project. And I guess I'm I'm really curious about what kind of reception you got from the room when you gave this and what it was like to actually win Best Student Talk.
3: Yeah, it was really exciting. And I guess the weird thing about Zoom talks is that you don't really see other people's faces. So I couldn't really gather how it had gone. In my head, it had gone very fast uh, because I had just finished writing my thesis. I I handed it in only a couple of days before. (laughs) So all the results were very much in my head. So when I made the talk, I think I put in a lot of content, perhaps too much. So I thought it had just gone a bit too fast. But then afterwards, people did come and chat to me and had interesting question so I gathered it had gone quite well and yeah it was also my birthday and (laughs) I was in Spain surrounded by family Um, so it was you know really really exciting and kind of the icing on the cake after a very hard year of of work and um, pandemic.
0: That sounds like a very full-on week of good news for you.
3: (laughs) Yeah it it was uh, really really full-on but then yeah also the price is pretty exciting. I mean, I got to choose 300 pounds worth of books, which I'm very much looking forward to reading.
0: Mm, That's incredible. And yeah, I always, I have kind of wondered how it must feel giving a talk at a conference over Zoom because you can't look out with the steely faces looking back at you.
3: Yeah, it's different, but I don't know. It's, um, we have to get used to it in a way. And, And there are some positives to being able to be, you know, in a different country like I was at the time.
0: Definitely. Are you a pop group regular? Have you presented there before?
3: It was my first time presenting a talk. I presented a poster on my first year of um, my PhD with my plans. And I actually found a picture on Twitter the other day and how they have changed. (laughs) I mean, uh, main question is the same, but yes, it's funny to, to look back. But yeah, I do try and go every year and... I find it is a wonderful conference and and very friendly and yeah just a great place to share science.
0: Mm, No for sure and I wonder how you found Pop Group this year so beyond your own talk which I'm sure dominates your memories what were some of the standout moments for you from this conference?
3: Yeah so I think we've all missed the excitement of sharing science this year so I found all the talks generally inspiring in, in you know the energy and the effort that speakers and organizers put in despite all the technical issues in the world that they faced but I particularly enjoyed Graham Coop's talk which actually was one of the main reasons why I really wanted to attend the conference. Um, I've been a fan of his methods and papers for a while. I've always liked how he incorporates the landscape and the environment so elegantly into population genetics. And he talked about his work with Matt Osmond um, on inferring the geographic location of genetic ancestors. So, really looking at how alleles spread through space and time. And I think these sort of methods are so important in our current world with invasions and climate change shifting species ranges and it's certainly an area of research that I really want to explore further in the next few years.
0: Mm, fantastic. Yeah, I've I've heard his talk was very good from a few people. But yeah, thank you very much for joining us to share your research. Um it sounds like a really incredible project that you did for your PhD and yeah, Best of luck moving forward in your career, and I guess best of luck in your Viva, which I assume must be reasonably soon.
3: Yeah, it's only in two weeks. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Great talking to you.
0: Thanks to Andrea, Eve, and Gabriella for joining me today. Heredity is the official journal of the Genetic Society. Find out more about the journal at nature.com forward slash HDY. You can subscribe to the Heredity podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm James Bergen. Thanks for listening.
1: Hold up.